Hey, it's David Ward. Real quick before we get to the episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the content, please share and subscribe to the podcast. I've heard every time you subscribe, a drummer gets their wings. So please help a drummer out and subscribe. All right, now on to the show. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. This is the show where we bring you the musician's story, and I am super psyched today. Rock drummer extraordinaire and uh, educator and author, drummer for Styx and so many other great artists. Todd Zuckerman is on the show with us today. Welcome, Todd. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. A pleasure to, to connect with you and, and meet with you and have you here. Um, you know, we're, we're broadcasting live from the Motor Studios in Portland, Maine. Let us know where you're watching from, whether you're live or in the replay. Where are you today, Todd? I'm, uh, I'm definitely live, um, hopefully. Yes. Okay. Uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the office. I'm at home in uh, Austin, Texas right now. Oh, fantastic. Beautiful place. Beautiful a place. Break, a little break before I, I take off for a 23-day run. So, Yeah, so let's – can we start with sticks? Sure, man. Uh, yeah, you're, you're on tour with sticks. You're on a little bit of a break. What is it like playing with this uh, iconic classic rock band? You know, I've seen videos of you walking out on stage to 20,000, 30,000 people. What is that like? Uh, well, you know, it's always amazing, and I never take it for granted. Um, you know, it's, it's been my job for a long time now. So I, I never, you know, people ask me, do I, you know, do I get nervous? I, no, I never get nervous. It's more of a, an excitement of let me at them. This is why we're here, and this is a fun job to have. So to, you know, to be able to play in a band that sings as well, plays as well, and cares as much as these guys do, um, that's, that's really the thing that's amazing because that, that level of um, – that level of, 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 of care comes from the top down. And whether we're playing in a field in Nebraska and it's 102 degrees or we're in the air conditioning in New York City, everybody gets the same show. Those guys are 20 years my senior and they, they never phone it in. They leave it on the stage every night. And that, that is a thrilling uh, and a challenging uh, situation to have on a nightly basis. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Talk a little bit about how you got the gig in the first place, please. You know, I'm asked this a lot, and people always assume that there was some sort of audition or I knew somebody's cousin or something like that. Like that. Uh, uh, the, reality the reality is, is, is the fact that I said, said yes, yes to every, every gig for years, years and years and years, and years played every dive bar, played every grimy, gross thing, you know, involved in different band projects. And that led me to the point where I was doing a lot of recording sessions in Chicago. And at that time, Chicago is like the mecca for, for jingles, you know, music for radio and, and TV commercials. So that was sort of the, uh, the super high-end work, uh, if you could get it. And in time, I started working with some musicians that were in that scene, and that pulled me into that scene. Uh, and it was because that was really my job before the band. I was doing 20 to 30 sessions a month in those days, and had drum kits flying around the city. And the guy who was taking care of my gear was a guy named Keith Merckx. He'd worked with a band in the past. He'd worked with the guys on their solo records. And uh, when they were going to get together to record um, Lady, uh, a new version of that for the Greatest Hits record that was to come, uh, John Panazzo, the original drummer, was in ill health and was unable to physically play. So they called, oops, I think I lost you. I lost your... Uh... Oh, 
Oh, there I'm you still, go. You're back. I'm still here. Yep. You're back. You're back. Um, <laughs> anyway, they, they, they called Keith and they said, who should we get? And he said, oh, we should call Todd Zuckerman. So that was really the genesis of, wow. uh, of meeting those guys was getting called into Ghost Drum on a recording session. And then they called me back the following year um, to uh, record a new piece of music. And I could tell something was brewing. And the um, next day they asked me, what was I doing that summer? And that's, that's how it all came about. It's amazing. And, and obviously sad to have lost John. Um, but thankfully, you were there and certainly qualified for the gig since already having recorded and played with them. Well, I, it, I was a fan of the band. I saw them three times as a kid growing up. I had the records. I was from Chicago, so you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing them. Um, it, so they were a hometown favorite. So it, I, I knew all the songs. I knew the live endings. And that, that was sort of the funny thing. When we, the first weeks of rehearsals, they didn't remember how things ended. And I would tell them how the songs ended. <laughs> so, uh, that was, uh, I think that, that kept, put me in solid from, uh, from an early position. I love it. That's great. It's just a new kid on the block, and you know all the songs. They've been just playing it too long. It's a that, breath of fresh that was, air. That was the joke. If anyone didn't know anything, it's would ask the kid. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's fantastic. What, tell, tell us about, you know, for somebody who wants to get to be where you are, you know, touring and playing with this kind of band, what's the best thing about being on tour? What's the most challenging thing about being on tour? Uh well, one one of the perks about being on tour is being able to see friends and family and whatnot at least once, if not twice a year, uh, every year. And I see a lot of friends and people that, you know, if I had a, 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 a day job that had me in the same desk for the next 35 years, I, I may never see these people again. Right. Uh, that, that's definitely a perk. I love traveling. I love restaurants. I love uh, um, um, you know, indigenous foods to different locations. Uh, the hardest thing is is maintaining uh, a sleep schedule, maintaining your health, um, being away from your family. It was definitely easier as a younger single person than an uh, older uh, husband and father. Um, but, uh, you know, that's that's the challenging part. I mean, everything in life has a balance no matter what you do. So you're trying to constantly juggle plates that are spinning all over the place comfortably well you might be putting out a fire over here and then you're booking more things over here and uh it's that's one of the the, the difficult things is, is finding a balance but that's always the case isn't it you know sure absolutely so how do you do that todd how do you you know you're sleeping on buses sometimes in hotel <laughs> rooms it's a it's a it's a, a work in progress all the time you know yeah I mean, you, you just have to listen to your body and you become very professional at being able to take naps. Like I can normally, as long as the, the carnival party isn't uh, too powerful that day, uh, yeah. I, I can go sit somewhere for 15, 20 minutes, close my eyes and just, okay. you know. Yeah. So power naps then. Yeah. Power naps are important. I, I, I'd have to be traveling with my like favorite pillow or something like that. It would just get all grungy. It would, it would be a mess, I think. You, so. gotta, you just got to learn to sit in a chair, close your eyes, and go. Right. <laughs> I think that's actually good advice. So, hey, you know, everything is better with music. And uh, I, I wanted to play this clip. Our friends at Drumeo, and, of course, uh, you know Jared and Dave and all of those guys. You did something special. Well, you've done something special there in total. But... This is not this is not playing drums uh, in a van down by the river. You guys helicoptered 
to the top of a mountain any hairy moments in the helicopter? Uh, there was one moment. I mean, I, we were with guys that were like the guy, uh, uh, Misha Gelb, who, who's our pilot. He flew that very helicopter around the world. Wow. So this guy, these guys were badasses. These weren't like, hey, Jude knows a guy like, hey, fly a copter. You know, it wasn't, you know, like he's got a wife and kids too. Like he's right. not going to just yeah. <laughs> put himself in harm's way. But we, at one point, you know, it, it was in inclement weather. It was raining. It was a bit of wind. And we're flying over uh, Stave Lake in British Columbia, which is a long finger lake. And on either side, there's mountains with nothing but the giant pine trees. And uh, at one point, the helicopter kind of did one of these like side to side things, and I'm thinking, literally, th you know, th th this I'm in a tin can. I could punch through the door of this thing. Uh, uh, a, if this thing goes down, where are we going to land? On top of pine trees on a mountain like this, or right into a frozen lake? What's, what's it going to be? Right. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we all live to to tell the tale. Live to tell the tale. It's amazing. And uh, actually, living to tell the tale, Let me, because we're going to come back to Drumeo in a second, but the, the thing you also live to tell the tale is you played with Spinal Tap somewhere in your career, and somehow you're still here as a drummer. How did that happen? Uh, I think they, uh, it, it, maybe Greg, this, Greg, Greg and I are the last two drummers, and I, I, I think they, uh, they decided to, to, to spare two of us and, and let us... <laughs> Uh, continue to walk the earth. It's to tell the tale. Yes. Um, yeah. No. I, I I played with those guys in in 2000 and uh, did a couple of TV shows. Uh, boy, it's 10 years ago this month. I want to say 2009. Oh. Oh, and, and Tap has not done anything as Tap a full band uh, since. So it's quite possible I was the uh, I ended their career. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice honor, though. I think right. So. <laughs> And are, are you possibly the guy who they may call, though, if they do a reunion tour? Well, it was it was Greg's gig. Um, OK, so I was I was called to fill in when uh, several times when when Greg couldn't do it. Um, so who knows? Uh, you know, anything that's ever happened to me, I couldn't have imagined. So uh, I never tried to imagine what could be around the corner because right. I'd, I'd be I'd be oh for a thousand, you know. What was the dream you had as a kid of what you wanted to do with music, with drumming? Uh, I really wanted to be a session drummer. That was what I sort of set out to do and did for a while until the business changed where it was, you know, you know, look at the amount of road work that, you know, Kenny Arnoff and Vinnie Caliuta have taken over the last 10 years. That, that, that tells you right there. Um, not, not that sessions don't happen. It's just it's nothing like the old days. Sure, and sure. music being devalued and recording sessions closing and, blah, 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 you know, yeah. it's kind of a, a downward spiral of that. But um, the, first time I, the, the first time I ever recorded in um, Universal, which is a big, giant recording studio in Chicago that, of course, closed in the 90s, uh, I uh, was there for the graveyard shift, and I saw road cases um, – and it was, you know, from one of the session drummers. And, and it, it didn't dawn on me, like, oh, you could have more than one drum set or more than one cymbal bag. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and his name, Tom, Tom Radke was the name. He was, like, the, the main guy back. This was, like, 1981. Okay. And so I saw that, and 
right then and there, I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be so busy that someone else carries my drums into a recording studio and it's like they're waiting for me. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So the guy that did all the sessions before, in between Tom Radke and myself, is a guy named Jim Hines. And Jim played in Brian Wilson's band after me. Anyway, Jim, Jim and I were talking one time, and uh, he said he had the same experience with Tom Radke. That's when he knew that he wanted to be a session drummer, because he saw him put a floor tom in his Ferrari outside a little jazz club. And he said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I remember how Blaine called it Carthage or Carthage. What is it? Car- Carthage. Carthage, yeah. Carthage, yes, absolutely. And Keith Marks, the guy who recommended me for sticks, like he was my Carthage guy. He ran the Carthage company in town. So if you if you were doing the sessions downtown, Keith had his guys moving your gear, whether it was a B3 a whole keyboard MIDI rack or guitar rigs, bass rigs, drums, whatever. He was the guy um, you know, moving. Uh, sorry, I got my lawn guy uh, <laughs> sneaking up on me here. <laughs> it's okay. Have him, he can have him come in, have some iced tea, and he can have the he can have the <laughs> mic as well. Um, we're live with Todd Superman. Get your questions in, your comments, whether you want to ask him about sticks, being on tour, playing with any of the number of folks, Spinal Tap, Brian Wilson, Cartage, whatever you want to ask him, uh, whether you're live or watching. A lot this of Cartage questions today. A lot, a lot of, of Cartage. Exactly. All right. Let's go back to Drumeo and, and RDM because um, I've spent the last 26 weeks hanging out with you on Drumeo. Uh, and for folks who don't know this, uh, Drumeo.com, amazing place. And you've been teaching this rock. Drumeo.com slash rock. Yes. And the, and the rock drumming master class that you have. Please tell us more about this. Uh, when Jared called me last summer with this idea, he wanted to do this 26-week course and have me write it. Uh, my first uh, inclination was my heart sank, and I just went, damn. <laughs> because I, kn- I knew I had to do it, and I know how I work. And I work, it's a laborious birth. And I spent the entire rest of that summer tour, which is most of it, writing. I wasn't going to go up there and just like, yeah, just roll camera and, and wing it and have a lot of likes and ums and you knows in my sentences. Uh, I was going to... Uh, do something that I'd set it to do something that no one had ever done before presented so much, uh, material, but yet in bite-sized morsels spread out over these 26 weeks that, that takes you from point a to point Z where you also have full access to me to, to write me or send me little videos like this. And I could take a picture in my hotel room or write you back. Like, no, op- open a little bit more space in, in here or whatever it is, whatever the, 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 the topic. So that was that was sort of the the, the beginning of this. And I, I I spent all summer writing it, and it would be like an hour till showtime, and I'd be like, ah, oh, damn, close my laptop. <laughs> These pesky rock shows are getting in the way of my work. Um, but it, 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 I really, really wanted to rise to the challenge and impress Jared and Dave, and have them be excited about what this is because what those guys are doing up there is nothing short of astounding and their hearts in the right place. They really want to make the world a better place through drums and through music. Um, and they're just, you know, they're wonderful, wonderful people and smart as hell. Uh, and I knew that like, Oh, this is going to be a great fit 
uh, working with with these guys, and we have a we have a great time doing it at the, at the same time. So, um, that being said, when when this is all done and filmed and all put together, you know, you never know how it's going to be. It's like you're releasing a movie or an album, or you're opening a restaurant. Are they going to come? Or are they going to like the food? And from the first the feedback from the first uh, uh, lesson was just I my heart swelled. I'm like, okay, this is this is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be great. And man, with with the first semester ending now, yeah. the feedback and the testimonials, I can't I can't read them without you know my eyes getting moist because it was such a beautiful thing to participate with drummers, thousands of drummers from 50 different countries from all over the world. Uh, and to help them and have them, you know, note after note saying this changed my life. This changed. My life. Look, I, I I can't even say the, the things, but it's the response was overwhelming in all capital letters. And so we decided, well, let's do it again for the people that that missed out because you know you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And people are always like, yeah, yeah, that looks cool, or um, well, I don't know, it's kind of expensive. It's not. It's eleven dollars a week, and if this is your your profession, your passion, it's the price of two cups of coffee at Starbucks. You know, that's nothing to invest in your thing. This is our thing. People go play golf. That's their thing. People go whatever to a shooting range and shoot guns or whatever. That's their thing. Yeah. People go skiing, skydiving, jumping off stuff. That's their thing. Yeah. This is our thing. And to and to say that eleven dollars a week, my goodness. And not comparing myself to Steve Smith, but if I was sixteen years old and Steve Smith did this, you could put two zeros at the end of the price, and I would have found a way to 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 be in a class. I I, I wouldn't have missed it. So. People are going to do what they're going to do, but those those that were um, in or on the fence and got in, every one of them, it just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of notes of of, of gratitude. So we're we're hoping that other people that are sitting there going, oh, maybe right. uh, it, it's 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 proven to work. Um, you know, with flying collars already. So if you just, if you want to be a different person, a different player, have your relationship to music, have your relationship to the lyrical content, have your relationship to how you formulate and shape pieces of music, uh, how you relate to other musicians, both personally and musically, conversationally. You know, if, if you can relax here and relax here, then and only then can you be a conduit to who you're supposed to be who your authentic self is on this instrument. And when you're unclouded by nonsense, whether it's mental aspects or physical aspects, then and only then can you really be in touch with the music and be in touch with the conversation that you're having with other musicians who are also not clouded with nonsense. Right. So that, that's, that's when the magic happens. And, and most people I find in, in, in my live master classes and teaching at drum camps, people are screwing themselves up. 95% of all drummers are playing wrong you know, hold on, I don't have a drumstick. Actually, I got one of my daughter's little tiny sticks here. <clears throat> Most people are grabbing the stick like this or putting it in the big monkey knuckle. You're never going to be able to play ding, 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 ding. It's impossible. And so starting with the grip, starting with the hand positioning, starting with what they're doing with their shoulders or keeping their arms out. Now all these muscles are, are tight. There's so many things that I can identify and help people with. If they want to seek out the help, I, you know, if they want to be able to know how to play the things that they can't play, drummers themselves are screwing themselves up from being able to go through this next level to that level to that level. And it all starts with 
everything here and everything in here. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great course. When I saw it, I immediately signed up for it. I would highly recommend it. And, you know, you're not only an amazing drummer, not all drummers turn into educators, Todd. So that, I was also wondering where you got the sort of bug, because you're an amazing teacher as well as drummer. How did that come about as well? Well, thank you, man. Um, I was very fortunate to go to a lot of drum clinics when I was a kid growing up. I grew up in Chicago, and I went to as many drum clinics as I could. And I found that that information that I got from the drum clinics, from the various drummers that I, I got to see, whether it was a, a hero of mine or someone that I just I didn't know that much about, but I figured I could learn something. Um, those were all like really kind of pivotal nights, some more than others. And um, I would go, you know, I saw Steve Smith a bunch of times, I saw Vinnie Kelly a bunch of times, I would record them and then listen to how they would explain things and begin to formulate other ways when I started to, to, to teach. Right out of, I went to Berkeley for one year. I had an amazing experience with uh, uh, Skip Hayden, who's a wonderful teacher. Um, Ian Froman, another wonderful teacher, but totally different. And then Gary Chafee, who is a legendary teacher, but entirely different. So if you study, in my one year at Berkeley, too, you know, there are different drum labs or different drummers. So I always equate it to when you're in a situation like that, it's like you're at, you're at this big, giant buffet, and you've got your plate, and you go, okay, hey, uh, egg rolls, pancakes, you know, <laughs> crab legs, uh, you know, oh, there's a couple, there's a spicy tuna roll. You know, you put all these weird things together, and then you look around, and you're the only dude in the room that has this plate. When, when you're in a situation with that, that many uh, uh, different uh, um, influences and references and, and, and uh, inspiration points and, and just educators coming at you, it's a lot. And then you go, I like this from this guy. I like these things from this guy. I like these things from this guy. And hopefully that helps sculpt uh, a unique you. Um, and then you got the weird plate with crab legs and, and pancakes. Right. And a little oatmeal on the side, right? Well, so, yeah, chocolate pudding, right? <laughs> well, so, so that, that was really what, what got me into it. Um, to continue, if I, if I may. Please. Uh, as I, I taught more, um, and have taught more, especially over about the last five or six years, with the experience that I have now, and I, I would see certain uh, threads with drummers, whether I'm in Prague, London, Nashville, Tulsa, Bangor, Maine, it doesn't matter where. Like, drummers are all doing the same gnarly shit that keeps them from, from, from going up. And it's the 5% are the ones that everyone goes, look, Oh, oh, how do you do that? Oh, he's so fast. Or oh, it's a God-given talent. No, if you just learn to align yourself with physics and with nature, then that's the only way that you can accomplish certain tasks. Fast singles, fast doubles, fast ride, you know, three and four note patterns with the hand, molar strokes, triplets. You can't do these holding the stick drum core style or big monkey knuckle style or with a tight grip or with the pinkies out or with tight arms all the way up to your neck in a tight mind. If you're, if you're able to loosen all that stuff up, then you can do those tasks. Look at any good jazz drummer. They all, they all can do that. Um, whether you're an architect, a doctor, a golfer, a lawyer, uh, a CPA, whatever your job is, you're going to do it better if you're relaxed. 
than tense. And 95% all drummers are tense as hell when they play. And we'll never get to your arms hurt, your elbows hurt. I, I can tell you why. And that's another thing that is great when I get uh, uh, letters back saying the pain in my wrist went away. The pain in my elbows went away. I changed my grip. Change your grip, change your life. Simple as that. Is that also why you uh, have, I know you don't think of it this way, but a high snare? Because I've also raised that up and I felt it's a little bit more comfortable. Talk about that. Of You sort of raised your snare up. There, there's a few reasons why. For, for, for one, it, if I tip that wrong, if I, if I was sitting at the kit, or let's say I was going to break a board with a karate chop right here, that's the maximum point of impact. So that's where, that's where my snare is, so I can just go back, back, and I'm just nailing that rim shot, and it's a line drive to center field every time. Can't miss, can't lose, no sound replacing in the studio because it's a perfect, consistent whack every single time. So with that being right there, my shoulders are also down and even. I'm not, I'm not doing this thing. I'm not. My line isn't all the way down here. Yes. Like a, a match grip, when it's, you've got the thigh hitters. There's a ton out there. Then that's your line to, to hitting your snare drum like that, and not, not that. Also, when this, well, both your shoulders are down, but when your snare drum is raised, now you have less distance to go from home base to the other areas of the kit. So I, now I'm moving with outward motions, as opposed to lifting from down here with my shoulders. Oh, these three-hour gigs are killing me. No kidding. Right. Bring your sport up, and now, now you're dealing cards, and it's a much easier game. I guarantee it. And it's more playing with the wrists from that angle as well. It seems like. Well, it, it, you you can, that, can, but then you can do anything. You can bring in some arm, and then you can go to full stadium showbiz mode. Right. But right, but you can get a big, nice sound out of the drums with little effort when you bring up your snare drum to meet you, rather than whacking it down between your legs. Yeah, I like it. I think it's there are, great. There are great drummers that have their snare low like that. I'm not saying sure. that, that if you do that, you're terrible. Sure. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying for most people, I think it's easier to do that, especially if you're playing traditional grip. You know, every student says to me, hey, well, I'd love to play traditional grip. And show me where your snare drum is. Well, when it's down on the ground, you can't play traditional grip. It's physically impossible. So no wonder why you've never gotten it together. And then sure. it's uncomfortable or painful. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, it's been painful when I've tried it, so I, I will have to adjust. <laughs> um, so I'm curious then, uh, when you were writing Rock Drumming Masterclass on the road, tell me about how you actually conceptualized it, what your vision of wanting to teach others was. I mean, for, first I started to write a lot of big points that I knew could be entire chapters. And then I would sit there and I would look at it and, and start formulating it and then go, well, this has to go before this or this has to go. Oh, no, this has to. You know what I mean? So so then I could see a, a, a chronological step forward with each lesson as opposed to just having it be a Jackson Pollock painting of stuff flying right. at you. You know, you have to go from point A to B to C to D and, and so forth. So that's kind of how I, I did it. I had to look at the big picture. What are, what are the big things I want to talk about? And then when I start writing, I go, you know what? That, that could be its own chapter right there. And then, oh, okay. So, it, it, you know, if I, if I looked and just and saw 
1 through 26 and go, how do I fill this? Well, that's a hell of a daunting task. You know, Jared's thing was, was progress over perfection because any, any one student could just be stuck at, at week three and go, wait, I'm not moving on until I really nail this. Well, you, you, the best way to learn is you get a little piece of the idea every day. And you can only do so much in seven days before all of a sudden there's this other stuff that's thrown at you. Now, the, the cool thing about this is you go through it again. Now that you've been through it, you've been through it, but you've just kind of, well, you've done what you could, what any individual could with this. And then when you go back and do it again, and I'm not saying you got to sign up again, you have access to this stuff for life. Now it's like I've, I've carried you for 26 weeks and now you're free. Fly right. <laughs> but it's, it's up to you to go back. Yeah. With what you know now and start over and do it all again and the level of clarity that you'll find and you're like, oh, this is a lot easier now. Like, and then maybe do it again and do it go back and hit the parts that you want to work on or that you really enjoyed because it's yours forever. I mean, if you buy the program, you have the program. If you don't buy the program and, and just wait to see, you know, my little 50 second clips online versus 16 hours that you get to keep forever with charts and PDFs and everything written out and the technology is bonkers on it, man. Yeah. Individual, uh, um, slow-mo at any moment. Right. The slower downer, right? It's pretty oh good. Oh my God. If I had that in the eighties right. when I was yeah, a kid, sure. <laughs> oh, goodness that's yeah. the coolest thing in the world when they showed me that i lost my freaking mind right yeah the way we learned music is uh take the needle back and put it back on the vinyl record and then yeah <laughs> now i also read so go ahead yeah. well, i was gonna say you know when, when i when i post you know some live sticks things i'll occasionally get someone like hey why don't you put a foot cam in there too i'm like sorry that one camera on the entire song is not enough <laughs> You know I mean, like when I was growing up, like watching a like, midnight special, like you'd hope right. you'd see a two second clip of the drummer and then you'd have to learn whatever that was. Exactly. You know, and then they literally show the drummer, you'd hear like, and they show the drummer, like, and that's what you got to see. Right. That's what yeah. I got to see. Sorry, that's- no foot cam. <laughs> That's how I had to learn. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then it's always back to the lead singer or the guitarist. So yeah. there you go, right? So <laughs> now I also read with the, the Rock Drumming Master class, you talked about your methods and mechanics. You've got methods and mechanics one and two, uh, and folks can pick that up online. But this is this is like methods and mechanics three through 25, Kinda, or or one, because I even sort of start out even simpler because it gave me the chance to go, let's do this right. Because, you know, with methods, when, when you're paying, you know, what you could buy a brand new Lexus to, to do your own DVD, you start going like, okay, guys, we got to keep, let's keep going. And then you start kind of fast and you might be playing kind of fast because you're thinking about, you're just ching, 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 ching. How much is this day costing? Yeah. Romeo gave me the chance to go, okay, let's slow down and let's, let's kind of take it from the beginning and go at an easy pace because I'm not paying, you know, right. Right. Not, not paying whatever, you know, yeah. hundred bucks an hour. For, right. you know, yeah. for, Studio time. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, let's let's jump back. You mentioned uh, a minute ago, you know, seeing drummers growing up. Who were some of your influences musically, whether drummers or other musicians? 
Uh, boy, we could talk until sundown and, and sun up about this. I mean, my, my father was a drummer, so he was my, my first drum hero. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy Rich uh, early on, Danny Seraphine, I used to listen to Chicago too, in like as a, you know, I'm two years old in diapers with my Mickey Mouse record player playing that over and over again. Uh, Sonny Payne with uh, Count Basie. Um, you know, I, 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 I grew up with a, a big band jazz drummer of a father, but I had two older brothers, five and seven years older. So I grew up in the seventies in the era of rock. So, you know, I was familiar whether I liked them or not. I knew, you know, like I, I love kiss. I love Led Zeppelin. I love the who I love Beatles, like, you know, uh, and just everything that was on the radio back then, you know, I was like, that was a thing. You drove around your car, your mom's driving you to school, mom's driving you to baseball. And like, you know, uh, whatever, you know, that whole era, I know all the damn songs. So it's, it's funny to me, or it's funny. It's, it's amazing to me rather that it, through my years with sticks, I got to tour with and be on bands with bands that were the radio of my youth and who still very much rule the radio waves today. In 2019. Like who? Who were some of those bands? Oh, Journey. Yeah. Ario Speedwagon. Um, uh, uh, we've been done with Peter Frampton, Leonard Skinner, uh, Hart, um, Bad Company, um, Def Leppard. Uh, you know, we were out with Joan Jett last year, Foreigner. Um, Incredible stuff, right? Yeah, it, it's... It's it's nuts. It's nuts. Tell me more. Was was there a Zuckerman family band? You coming from a musical family with your brothers, yeah. with your dad? Yeah. Well, my my mother was a, a, a actress uh, who could also sing and play piano. Okay. But my older brother Paul uh, still is a professional um, uh, pianist and a keyboard player and an educator. He teaches jazz at University of Wisconsin. Uh, my brother Joel uh, got a straight gig. He didn't want he didn't want the musician's life, even though he was a bass player. Um, so we grew up like normal kids. You go for a swim or throw a ball around, and then go in and play music. And that was a, I mean it was a wonderful card to be dealt in life to uh, be the youngest in a musical family because there was always you know there could be the kid. The kid one type of music or one band or one artist, you know, coming out of one bedroom, coming out of another one, once something's playing in the kitchen, you know, it was a great way to grow up because it was just music, whether it was Mozart or Led Zeppelin. Right. Yeah. Um, and was it always the drums for you? Cause I've seen you playing the piano a little bit too. Any other instruments? I uh, horribly tinker with <laughs> piano and, and, and guitar, but to say that I play them is yeah. an understatement. I could, I could sit in with no one. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I could play the, the, the beginning of Substitute by the Who on the on the guitar. I could maybe do the intro and then walk off stage. Um, no, it's always been the drums for me. Yeah. It's always been the drums for me. I mean, I, I, I enjoy singing, but I've always been a little sheepish about it. Uh, but it's just, I like being in an ensemble and being part of that creative uh, thing that only only happens from being a musician and, and playing music and, and, and sharing in that type of thing so to to grow up with that was just you know it's miraculous sure. tell me some of the big ele- biggest lessons you learned from both your mom and dad about you know because you said your dad was a, a drummer as well but about music and the music business um 
be, being on time and reliable was a big thing from from both my parents, um, especially my dad, because your your reputation is everything. If you're unreliable, whether you're going to be late or is he going to show up at all, or you know what I mean, it doesn't matter how great you are. That that's going to hurt you at some point. Um, so that was a big one. You know, my, my, my father taught me how to read music, how to read charts, how to play, how to, you know, everything. Buzz roll, double stroke, singles, paradiddles, all that. Uh, and just to be reliable and to, and to play the music, play for the music, how to keep people dancing, how to keep whoever's employing you happy. Um, you know, uh, I haven't thought about this, this in, in quite some time, but those are, those are some things that are, are coming to mind right now. Now, I've read he was a, uh, not only a drummer, but he was a doctor by day as well, correct? Yes, he, he put himself through med school playing drums, and he, he was Lena Horne's drummer for a bit. Um, and he was one of the house drummers at the Chez Prix in Chicago for 18 years while he had a, a practice. So um, the Chez Prix was where, you know, everybody, that was like the nightclub, the Cotton Club or whatever, of Chicago. That's so he played with Sammy Davis Jr., um, uh, Joey Lewis, uh, Sophie Tucker, you know, every friggin' comedian, dead, dead, dead dog act, you know, whatever, singing, ventriloquist. <laughs> it's, 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 it's all right, it's all right. I mean, he's, we worked with all, with all these guys because that was, if you were a star and you did the big show lounges, that was where you, that was where you played. That's incredible. And what kind of doctor was he as well as a drummer? He was a podiatrist. That's fantastic. That's incredible. Got to have it. He fixed Sammy Davis Jr.'s feet on the, on the gig. Really? Yeah. Now, Sammy was quite a drummer as well, right? Yeah, sure. He was an in- incredible drummer. Amazing. I don't know what was wrong with his foot, but he, he could still drum, that's for sure. I don't know either, but my dad fixed it, so it was okay. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. The, the other thing I wanted to talk with you about is I, I have not heard anybody else talk about this. You, you talk about the importance of connecting emotionally with song lyrics whether to help you learn the song or play the song. Say more about that and, and how that came about for you. Well, I, I've always been a lyrics guy and, and drawn to the lyrics. And mm-hmm. it, if, you, if you think it through in these terms, it's, it's pretty simple. But when you're part of an ensemble, you're part of the storytelling process, and that, that, that focal point is the singer telling a story that you are a part of. So you're a cinematographer on this film, and you can screw it up. If you, you know I mean? It, it, music is much more than just, what's the beat? I stop here. You want to fill in the chorus, 16-bar chorus. It's, it's more than just numbers, and this is conceptually what will work with the song, or even... Uh, Oh, this is nice with the song, but if you know what the song is saying, then you can attach yourself emotionally to the piece of music. So if you if you're a singer songwriter or whatever, it, you call me in your studio to play. What's the song? I want to I want to read the lyrics down. Is it a happy song? It did. Are you brokenhearted? Is it a song about a, a friend of yours that died? Like you 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 kind of have to get into the character of what the song is, and then you're really part of the mood of that song, and you're not just trying to get 
a job done. You're trying to, uh, I'm trying to please you. You've hired me and I'm here to play the drums and like this. Is this good? There you go. Sign here. I'll get my check. Nice meeting you. It, that way you could really attach yourself to the song and to the people that you're having the experience as you're creating it. That That's like another deeper layer of, of stuff there that most guys don't think about or most guys don't even care about. But that's that's what I, I try to do. And, and I think some of the best musicians and some of the best drummers, uh, whether they know it or not, they, they, they do have that level of, um, of care and commitment. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic concept. I, I really like it. Say a little bit about when you don't really connect to some of the lyrics or you're just not, you're just not, it's not your jam. It's, you know, you're not jiving with it. What's oh, your well, mindset? Then, then, then you can sometimes feel that, right? Yeah. You sometimes feel that. You know, it's, and I'm not talking about just like on a record date, but you could, you could walk into a, a club or a bar or whatever and there are guys playing and they're punching the clock and they don't, don't care about being there it, it it sounds like they don't care it sounds like the drummer is going well, i didn't call my girlfriend on bird she's gonna kill me and the bass player is like three more songs and we're freaking out of here and the guitarist is on his ninth beer and he's looking at his watch and like that's that's the the that's the shit that's coming off the stage and then you go to another place and you see someone's connected to the music or you see a drummer that's you got three or four guys all agreeing on something and where the pocket is and having a good time. And then you're like, now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. Because they are emotionally, whether they know it or not, con connected. They're not just getting a job done. And that's that's one reason why, for me, anyway, it's how I work. At, at other people work differently. But you know, if you were to call me to, to do your gig and I had to learn 20 songs in four days, five days, I would learn the songs. I wouldn't sit there and go like, okay, you know, I'm good enough that I can do this. I'll just write it. Choo -choo -choo. And then I'm, I'm just, I'm getting through your gig. I'm supplying you the service of, um, I'm, I'm letting you make your money tonight and I'm helping you out. I'm subbing and, and okay, cool. Can I go now? But if I walk in there and I've learned the stuff, I can own it. I can be part of the conversation. I can now be a living, breathing organism with it without my head stuck or counting bars or whatever, then we've just had a, a, a shared collective experience together. And people go, dude, thanks. That was, that was great. And then you're a nice guy. Now you're getting phone calls. But if you go in there just thinking, I, I, you know, I'm good enough just to fart my way through this and I'm going to give this gig just the, the bare essential of, of, of attention and care too many people do that, and it's a friggin' bummer. And I, I've been experienced with, been on the bandstand with some great players who I'm like, I prepared for this. I'm busy too, and you're farting all over this. Half of what you're playing is great because you're great, but half of what you're playing is wrong because you didn't care, and you, you're just trying to get through the job. I want to live the job. I don't want to get through the job. So that's, that's where I come from. Any special tips or techniques of how you learn a song if you've got you know a few days to do that? First That's off, you have to want to learn the song. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's yeah. a big one, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. I, I learn by repetition. Okay. If you if you call me on a Monday and we're we're doing we're playing on Friday, for those days I would have that music on in the shower. I'd have that music on when I'm cooking. I'd have that music on. When I'm driving, I would have that music on all the time. And then, now that I'm starting to know it, 
if there's some tricky figures or what's that or that's kind of a weird that's a that's a seven bar phrase there i would i would i now key in on it and thank god we have the technology remember doing cassette tapes uh i would do that over and over again until i know what it is because i don't want to have my head in the chart something about rock drumming master class um and i it's another thing that reinforced my notion is when people would send me, you know, videos or YouTube links of, of their um, rendition to one of the play alongs. Mm-hmm. The guys that were the best players, they learned it. The guys that were the worst players, guys with their head stuck in the chart the whole time. It's worried about the minutia of which Tom is that? Is it Splash? Is it the, that's the bell of the ride? They're worried about all this stuff. Or if you just learn it, then you, then you, you know it. And you're yeah. going going for the feel of it at that at that point, right? Let's do it over and over and over again. If if it's you know if a you're commissioned to learn something, and you don't like the song, well, you got to learn it anyway. But if you like the song, then it's more of a pleasurable experience to listen to it over and right. over and over. Yeah. It's yeah. a little easier. Uh, a little bit of sugar makes the medicine go down, whatever. And then then you know it. And for me, one, once I learn something, I, I kind of know it forever. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. And another analogy. In, in high school, you ever have to cram for a test? Sure. You don't remember a damn thing from that. But if you were, were learning a subject that you enjoyed and you had a teacher that you enjoyed, you know that stuff forever. It's, okay. That's the same analogy. You know, you want to, do you want to get through the job or do you want to live the job, be, be, be part of it and own it and you sleep and breathe it? That's, that's my thing. Sounds like that's how you approach it, whether you're playing live with sticks or you're, you're also, we talked, you're in the, in the studio yesterday with Antoine Fafard. Uh, no, a, I was in the studio doing, doing a, a top secret project uh, yesterday. Not Spinal Tap, then. Well, no. not, not Spinal Tap, no. The, the Antoine Fafard record comes out uh, at the end of August 30th, but actually you can pre-order it now at AntoineFafard.com. Uh, the, the cool thing about this is... Uh, Antoine saw uh, a um, YouTube clip of me playing Jerry Goodman's uh, Tears of Joy, which is on First Methods Mechanics. And he thought that it would be interesting to have me in his next record, even though I'm known as, you know, a rock drummer. Uh, So this was just ridiculously challenging fusion music. Just, you know, no two time signatures in the same, you know, next to each other. Uh, And Antoine plays bass and guitar and the great Gary Husband on keyboards. So not only is he a brilliant, brilliant drummer, he's a brilliant, brilliant keyboard player as well. So just freakishly talented. Uh, so that was music that, you know, I'm not Vinnie Caliuta. I can't go in there and just, you know, poop Mona Lisa's on command and just like read it down and go, how's that? Um, I really wanted to learn this music and be in it. So when I, when I played it, I could, I could say what I wanted to say within the, the, the piece of music and be part of that conversation musically you know so that's i'm really excited that that's uh that's coming out in the next bunch what are the what's the mindset similarities and differences for you for going into the studio versus playing live the mindset is pretty similar because i want to play as well as i can i want to make the experience with the other musicians as great for them as possible and I want the music to be as great as possible for whoever will be listening to it, whether it's the audience or a, uh, you know, a, a, a documented piece of music. 
Um, so the mindset is kind of the same. With a rock show, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, you have to be an entertainer. Uh, there's a little bit of show business as- aspect, even though I'm not a stick twirler or like a big, like, look at me, this type of guy. Um, you know, and that's fine. I'm not you right. know, making that. That's fine. You know, you're, you're playing a big room. You know, no one wants to see a guy standing there looking at their feet. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the my mindset is is the same. Play well and make your instrument sound great. Be balanced here. Play well with others. Listen. Be part of the conversation. Know when to shut up. And try to have it be good. It's not uncommon to have you know a bunch of you know seventeen and nineteen year olds down front singing along with every single song. Right. They're having a new experience with it. So I mean, they're literally the age group from you know from kids from one to ninety two. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of that type of thing. So everyone's in their own trip of of, of what they're experiencing. So it. It's that's the thing about music, man. It's just it's the human experience. I can't even begin to uh, imagine what anyone's thing, you know, or when I go to a show. But, you know, when when some magic stuff happens and you you feel it in the room, well, you know, you go see the who and like they're on and towns and windmills for the first time. You feel the building go like, ah, and that's some shit that you just cannot get from like watching a YouTube clip. That's right. Oh, I want to see the Who. Okay, do I want to go to the show? I, I don't know. But when you're in the room and you feel something happen and you have that collective experience where everyone, right. that's the magic stuff, man. Like I, I can think of so many concerts I was at where like individual points or a certain something happened in the song and I broke into a, you know, like a hot flash or a cold sweat and yeah. everyone else felt it. That's magic shit, man. And, and you know, it, it, it bums me out that there's so many, you know, people that will just sit and watch stuff on YouTube and sit on a couch and go, all right, that's good enough. Why don't you just sit and look at a picture of the Grand Canyon or, you know, right. the Tower and go, ah, right. there's the Tower. But yeah. when you're in Paris, you're like, oh, my God, look at everything I see is unbelievable. <laughs> Now, that's the, yeah. that's the difference between, you know, looking at a picture or, or, or being a part of something. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I've been lucky enough to have that experience. It's the goosebump moment, really. Right. Like walking into the stadium and the who is playing pinball wizard and you're like 80,000 people. And you're like, oh, this is this is special. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it could, but it could be in a club, too. It doesn't have to be 80,000 people. Right. You, could, you know, my, my good some, some of my favorite musical memories was, was being fortunate to see Tony Williams at the Jazz Showcase so many times, 20, 30 times, you know, from 85 to about 90, about 95. He would come through twice a year and I'd go down and I'd see, you know, two nights and I'd see one set from the front and one set right from the side. And when he would start playing, it would scare me. It was like this fight or flight, this big, giant, you know, 24-inch bass drum in a jazz club and he'd just start before anyone else played, and that was just tribal and ethereal and um, life-affirming. That's heavy, heavy stuff. It's amazing, yeah. Todd, this has been a blast. Let's let's end with, unless there was anything more that you wanted to check in about. Um, no, man, this has been fun. Thank you. It's been fun for me, too. And I, I, I just want to say I really appreciate your music and your teaching. It's been really helpful for me. Um, Thanks. I, I still got a lot more practicing to do, but uh, we all do. That's the that's, thing. We all do. Isn't it great? 
Yeah. Well, what are you practicing these days? What are you working on being at such a high level? Normally, I'm working on things that are coming up right around the bend. Yeah. So I, I actually hadn't done a proper drum clinic. I've been doing these master classes, but a clinic, I did my, my first one of the year uh, a week and a half ago in, in Denver. So I kind of had to brush up on some of those things. Yeah. Another uh, yeah. one in uh, in Switzerland in September, and uh, I'm I'm working on one or two records right now. I'm not I'm not at liberty to say at the moment, um, uh -huh. but so I, my mind is kind of there for the the moment. Yeah, more. Uh, yeah, I, I'm always just trying to. At this point, I'm not trying for more trickery. I'm just trying to play better until I can play. You know, I want to be able to play a groove and have it you know, be like Steve Jordan or Jeff Beccaro. I can't do that yet. You know, I watch Steve Jordan play the simplest thing in the world, and I go, how do you do that? Right, exactly. You know, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of into more simple things right now yeah. as I age and mature than trying to push the techno, technological limits of, of what I can do. Um, yeah. There's, you know, there's always going to be guys... Uh, you know, like incredible guys like, you know, Garrigo Burlai that you just, I see the strength and the speed. And I'm just like, holy, you know what? I'm going to, I can't chase that. Um, you know, uh, you know, Vinny Calido, I listen to him and I watch him and just the way that he can just conversationally improvise brilliance. Just like I say, just like, like I, I say, you know, crapping Mona Lisa's on command, just got every bar. <laughs> Like, like, how do you do that? So, it's you know, if if you if your mindset is is correct about this, you'll you'll die wanting to be a better drummer, and that's what I I want to do. I want to I want to doing this and be as good as I can. And there's no spiking the ball in the end zone with this. There's no way to measure how far um, you know, like a race, how fast you run a race, or how or you could throw a javelin or whatever. This is this is a personal game that you share with others. But it's I, I want to be able to do this as well as I as I can for as long as I can. Yeah, and I, I think you do it pretty well, sir. For my money, you are the American Keith Moon. Let me just tell you because I think you got <laughs> I, I think you I think you got some of that uh, who energy in you from your playing and uh, just the energy. Some of the pictures I see, it's it's really fantastic. Well, thank you, man. I'll I'll I'll, I'll take that as a, he, he was a uh, an influence, and I was always charmed by uh, his legend and lore and stories and. Um, so I'll take that as a compliment. I just I, I just don't want to perish early as he did. That's all. No, 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 no. And and I, Keith was a great drummer, but I think you have technically uh, overshadowed well, where he is as well. Just real quick, a lot. Keith Moon is so widely misunderstood mm. um, for those that there's like you know when I talk to people, fifty percent of the people like they don't they don't get it at all. He was he was like. He played like a jazz drummer where he never wanted to play the same thing twice. Yeah. And he kind of hated having to play part certain certain things. And he played things by accident. And he was just a tornado. Was he a great drummer like his hands, like Buddy Rich? No, not even close. Was he a great drummer like where he, he came up with these great parts like John Bonham or a groove like John Bonham? No, not even close. But it was totally different. Yeah. It was just this joy and this reckless abandon and 
you know, when I talk about Keith Moon, then some people go like, oh, yeah, you're, 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 a, um, uh, uh, you're, you're touting a guy who, who drank and, and drugged himself to, to death. Great uh, role model. Like, well, okay, should we stop listening to Jimi Hendrix? Right. The Beatles took a lot of drugs. I tell you right. what, let's, okay. let's flush uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper uh, down the toilet because those guys weren't high when they did right. that. Record. Right. Clapped well, it, right. Yeah, everybody. On. Yeah, it, it does, like separate that shit from the music. Right. Let's look at what what he was doing, and and Keith Moon's playing, especially in, for my money and and in my opinion, there was something really special between '69 and '71 with his playing. '73 yes. Quadrophenia was still great, but that was the first signs that the, the booze and drugs were were starting to make him sluggish, and it was a little downhill from then. Although he still has some cool stuff. But go go listen to live at Leeds, the you know the the, the, the full one. Who's next? Uh, th- those are those are just monoliths in drumming and a snapshot in time that we will never uh, have again. His energy was unbelievable, and you're going to get it, or you're not going to get it. I didn't get Jimi Hendrix for a long time. That that sounded like Vietnam to me, or like some in the recordings were shitty and grainy, and it was like a a a, um, a, a, a history class but then one day i got it and i'm like oh, okay and like yeah you look at him like he's he is kind of the coolest guy ever isn't he um <laughs> yes. you know, but things if that's art man things hit that's you right. or they do you could be at a museum looking at a painting and a guy's just going like i don't get this and the guy next to you's just got tears streaming down his face that's exactly. the thing with art the thing that i don't do is if i don't like something i don't shit have someone i don't write right. things on that's, that, that that's the thing that's the one. Sorry, I can go off on a tangent here, but that's no, the one dang, thing about the internet. This is like some little kid will post um, playing the right. drums, and then he'll get wailed on. Right. And maybe he doesn't know that it's okay that, that he's good, and he's going to listen to some guy pressing that button. Right. You know. So if there's any any young musicians out there, get get thick skin and plow through it. If you do this, do it because you love it, and we're all working on it. Don't don't let people who have no skills and no talent and live in their mom's basement tell you that you can't do something. That's right. I think that's the best advice of the day. It's fantastic. <laughs> Todd, this has been a real blast for me. It's great to connect with you. Hang on the line. I'm going to end the live broadcast. But Todd Sugerman, thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record today. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure, man. Take care. Very cool episode. What did you think about that? We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it. And if you want to watch this interview, there's a video, too. You can check it out on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, musiciansontherecord.com. Until next time, I'm David Ward. Thanks for listening.